Thank you for joining me today on the Amber May Show. We have a very serious topic that we're talking about today, but I'm hoping that it will bring some um, clarity, maybe some relief, maybe some understanding. And uh, this week we're talking about suicide, and I have a wonderful lady who's joining us today, and you might remember her. Her name is Cynthia Hyatt. She's a psychotherapist here in the Valley, and I just wanted to ask her to come and give her expertise on um, maybe what what is a mindset that they have how can we understand what they might be going through and then how can people who love that person that committed suicide deal with it and what are some ways that um they can put a really great grasp on it and handle that situation so welcome Cynthia to the program okay so we're talking about suicide it's not an easy topic to discuss and not too many people really talk about it as far as I've seen you know and in Around the holidays, around especially December, there's the high rate of suicide. And I know that we it hasn't been that long ago since we celebrated the holiday season. And and several people um, have decided to take the final step and end their life. Yes. Can you help us understand? Because it's really hard to get your mind around why someone would take their life. How come they would do it? I love ones think it's selfish or they have anger because they feel like they could have done more, but then, then it happened and they feel guilty. They feel angry that they couldn't stop it. So can you kind of walk us through that person's mindset? Because I think that's the only way we can really start beginning to heal with some understanding. Well, one of the biggest proponents of suicide is a lack of attachment. And I know that may sound odd, but... The more disconnected we get from ourselves, the more disconnected we are from God and from others. And people will suicide when they're not connected. See, even if they're angry with you, they may say they, they may not suicide because that's a connection. They feel attached to something or someone. And so once they start losing that 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 attachment to any person on the planet and especially to themselves and to God, then that is a whole different reality mindset. And they're, in that way, there they're, they're really isn't any point to living. Because when people are connected, then they stay. So even the, the wealthiest people with all the resources, if they're not connected to somebody, they, they will, many times they will kill themselves. We either get that or we get the Unabomber. Because humans have to attach to the human. Hmm. And it, it, they lose their humanity when they lose any attachment to themselves or to God and others. Does that start from childhood or... Or could it happen at any time in their life? Well, there's a you know there's a series of events that generally have to occur, or okay. there's a particular lifestyle. Many times, the a huge disconnect with a person's self is any kind of self-medicating. So, any kind of drugs, alcohol abuse, street drugs, any types of addictions have a tendency to disconnect the person from themselves because they don't want to feel whatever pain they have inside, or whatever pain they are perceiving is outside. So maybe they feel horrible rejection and feelings of failure, feelings of, you know, all kinds of horrible psychological feelings inside emotions. Or maybe the way their world is working is causing them tremendous pain and they have lost a relationship, a job, series of failures. Um, they may be facing a debilitating disease. So whatever it is that's going on internally and externally causes that need to, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to feel this. I don't want to be inside of myself. I don't want this life. And if there isn't a way to resolve that, then the eventual end oftentimes is 
we either have somebody that, that has a psychotic break or um, become overly depressed, you know, chronically. They may then develop another illness or they may suicide. And so it's one of these things to remind ourselves that with suicide, nobody's in their right mind when they do it. This is why God talks about there being no condemnation. Because sane people don't kill themselves. Sane people like you and I that are in a really deep, difficult emotional time, we might think things like, oh, I wish I could die. Yeah. This is too much. Or Jesus, why can't you just come back right now? Right. I can't take it, you know. But actual crossing over this, this kind of invisible line where all of a sudden suicide actually is an answer, there's a spiritual dynamic that happens where I now am befriending suicide, which is death and murder. Once I have befriended that and that becomes more like a safe, dark place that I can hide in, that is my own private world that I can think on and entertain and you know consider when I will and how I will, making that plan is then becomes very tempting and very um uh that's what i'm looking for very invigorating because all of a sudden they feel like they have control over something and they're going to do it successfully wow so that would be the key because they've been feeling like a failure oftentimes so this is going to be a success for them Mm -hmm. That's huge, and you're, I mean, there's other reasons, but that, but what happens is, all of a sudden, I feel like I have some control over something. Now I have some choice, because when people get in those really dark places, where they just think, "I just want to die. This is killing me. I hate this life," it's generally because they feel like they don't have good choices or they have no control anymore. That that they can't make their life work for whatever reason. They cannot figure out how to turn things around or find hope. Or make your life work in some way. You know, we have that famous verse that says, without vision, people perish. That's right. Well, in the NAS version, which I found a couple years ago, it says, without vision, the people lack restraint. Huh. And so when someone has no hope for the future, there's no really point to it. There's no reason to live. Well, then it's eat, drink, and be married for tomorrow. I shall die. It's like, who cares? I'll spend all my money. I'll take care of my body. I won't manage my relationships. Who cares? There's no vision. There's no hope. There's no future for me. So if there's no future for me, my current day doesn't really make any difference what I do. I think that's sad that they even think that if they're married or have children, Mm -hmm. because clearly their family's trying to reach out to them. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand why they're not comprehending that that thought that there is a reason to live, that there are people that care about them. It's it's a real hard pill to swallow that... But see, it's incomprehensible because it's insane. So it isn't logical. There's nothing logical about it. So for whatever reason, the connection, they're not making that connection. They're not able to integrate that there are good things here. There, you know, People do love me. But they may feel like nobody loves them. It doesn't matter what you say. They may not feel that. And, you know, we've talked before together, and when I've told you that saying, feelings are very real but not always true. Mm-hmm. See, once a person crosses over and just believes their feelings, and that's their new truth, so they're then highly deceived. Big time. Because the truth they're believing is their feelings, and their feelings are telling them that there's no hope, there's no reason to live, nobody loves me, I can't take it anymore, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I'm letting everybody down, you know, there's no future for me. And they start believing all that despondency and despair and weariness and overwhelm. 
And so it becomes and the solution is, I just have to get out of this moment. I can't stay here. I can't live like this. Wow. You know, what's really scary to me is the fact that so many young people are getting addicted to prescription medication, Mm -hmm. whether it's given to them or they find it in their home and they pass it out at school or they pass it out wherever they go. Because I just talked to a physician this week and I I didn't know, I don't know anything about medication. Mm -hmm. And this doctor told me that opiates kill the ability to, to make yourself happy. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh. And doctors prescribe them and they do prescribe them in a safe manner. But it makes me scared because it's like more and more people are getting addicted. And I don't want people's ability to create happiness within themselves with the chemical processes that happen in your brain. Because I don't want any more families to suffer with losing the loved ones. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't know how to fix the solution. Well, always the the number one solution against suicide is relationship and healthy relationship. If people are working on being a healthy person emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and really taking seriously how they affect other people and understanding what behaviors or ways of interacting that they may be doing that may be doing little deaths in that person's life, then that's part of how we stay connected. That's part of how everybody stays here. And so it's imperative that we really practice healthy relating styles. Now, again, though, you know, you can be a really healthy person, mm-hmm. and if you're met with someone that is damaged, you can do everything you can. But if they don't work on undoing the damage, or if the damage is too severe, like in someone that's been addicted to, any, you know, crystal meth, any, anything that's a, a, a really a chemical or mm-hmm. any of the opiates, any of the narcotics, there, there are some, some things that happen to the brain that may not be able to be reversed. Mm-hmm. And so we can get them off opiates, mm-hmm. crystal, crack, cocaine, all of that, but they may need to stay on methadone the rest of their life if they're committed to doing that. The problem is if they do that, or, or the, there's one called Suboxone as well, that, that really helps people that got into that kind of a horrible bondage. Mm-hmm. But it also has deleterious effects on their on their body, mm-hmm. and the bone marrow, and being able to produce bone. And oh, wow. So there's lots of you know there. Really, certainly the only solution is God, I and mean, God, is, yes. you know, and God can miraculously cure people. Yes. But in the meantime, the ways that we can help people stay healthier and give them hope and vision is we're connected to them and we love them. But even then, see, God loves them as well. Yes. And it didn't matter. It didn't fix the problem. Because there still is that person's side of the street that they have to do. That's true. They have to want to get the help. Now, that was interesting that you said that about even though they can um, get off the drugs, that the damage to the brain has already been done. It's not something I ever thought about. Mm-hmm. Um even in my own family. I mean, wow, that was kind of shocking to think that I think that the solution would have been if he just got off drugs altogether in a safe way where it's not just cold turkey. Because once you're on those hardcore drugs, you can't just go cold turkey and expect yourself to be okay. No, you could die. You could definitely die. That withdrawal is scary, Mm -hmm. and it could do crazy things to your body. But I didn't even think that, I mean... That, that brain damage is done and it's permanent. It doesn't come back. Because you see, our brain, the way our brain has a lot to do with our spirit. 
and, and our mind is a part of our soul and our spirit. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you're sitting here in front of your computer and you're restored in your soul and in your spirit, but your computer won't work because there's damage to the hard drive that can't be undone, that's a difficult way to live. Now, it's very possible because there are some things like staying on methadone or suboxone for the rest of your life. That, that replaces what was stolen by the opiates, but, and it replaces it in a healthier manner, but it still is you are now drug addicted the rest of your life, and you can't go off it. And so it is now, God many times can supernaturally heal that and sure. restore that, sure. and, he, and he has, but that is rare. And some of that maybe we don't avail ourselves as much or we don't have to because we've, That's true. we've gotten some other solutions. You know, I'm not sure, I, but it is very difficult to come back if you have had a very long drug history with a chemical. That's different than drug history, sometimes the alcohol or tobacco or um, marijuana. The brain damage, alcohol can do terrible brain damage to people if it has been long-term alcoholism or a lot of it. This is something new I didn't know either, and I just found out this year that a long, long-term abuse of alcohol could cause brain damage. Oh, very, very much. So. I didn't like, know that. Like Alzheimer's, like, like uh, dementia. Okay, there's not the ability to recall. There isn't the ability to do uh, abstract problem solving. There, the ability to uh, retain information and have any short-term memory. Very difficult. Wow. So, if you're a family member trying to reach out to these people, what are what are some what are the best ways, I guess, they could do it, even though they have to want the help? I mean, how can we talk well, to them? I think that this is one of those things where, because it is a spiritual issue, suicide is always a spiritual issue. That's what it comes down to. It's, it goes past a psychological, emotional issue. It is now spiritual in that I have no future, no hope. Okay, there is no reason to live. My life is not worth living. That is a spiritual crisis. All right, And so it starts emotionally, psychologically, but it ends up at the end being a spiritual crisis. And so what I recommend to families that are dealing with this is that instead of always trying to go horizontal with the person, that you really, really get a massive prayer uh, group going that is doing some of those spiritual disciplines like praying and fasting for this person and really calling on the dark side, you know, to... To uh, I mean, availing themselves of God against the dark side right. and calling out the dark side, you know, fighting the spiritual battle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for for real, because this is it is a spiritual battle. Once they have crossed over and and Satan really has, they befriended that darkness. Now, I'm not saying they befriended Satan in the light. Right? No, of course not. Now the darkness is more comfortable than the light. Of course, yeah. And so the darkness feels now safe, and Satan's going to make it feel really good. It's going to no longer feel bad. And so it's really hard to call somebody out of that and get them back where they actually do want to live. Because when someone is is contemplating suicide, what they've reduced their life down to is, well, if I could just have a girlfriend, or if I just could get a good job, or if I just could have have success over here, or if I thought that, you know, so-and-so would love me again, so it gets reduced down to, I just want this problem fixed, and if that would be fixed, then I would be okay. When we know that that's not going to do anything. And generally, the problems that people are presenting 
are, are the past. They've already happened. That's very There's true. You can do about them now. That's very true. And so we have to get them to the place that they're seeing. But this is not a temporal horizontal problem that if that just would work, then there's a reason to live. It has to be an intervention with God, the Holy Spirit, that restores that life force in them that causes them to see. Life has trials and tribulations, but I have a friend that is going to help me with those, and there's a point to my life, and there is a reason that I was born, and it's much bigger than just this one circumstance of I didn't get into the um, Air Force, or I lost my girlfriend, or, you know, I lost a baby, mm -hmm. you know, these types of things, that it's, that those things are outside of us and affect us, but they have nothing to do with why we were born. Right. And so it's reorienting that, and so they have to connect with somebody, whether that be a therapist, a pastor, a mentor, but it can't necessarily be a friend or a family member, because you... There's no way that you could shoulder that. You have to do your life for what God has called you to do. That's true. And so yes. if you put yourself in that position, you're going to end up letting that person down, which they are looking for reasons to die. So if you don't meet every single need perfectly at the right time or the right way or anticipate it, you're already setting yourself up, okay, to be one of the reasons that they can say, see, nobody can help me. Wow. I didn't even think about so that. So it's really important that when it's at that level, that there has to be professional help of somebody that is either is doing this as their, their avocation, so mm -hmm. they have the time, or somebody's doing it as a profession, so that they are, are consistent with the person, and they're and available at odd times or odd hours, and isn't trying to get any emotional needs met from that person. So that, that the person that's contemplating suicide or living in that, that kind of way mm -hmm. isn't having to then worry about whether or not my needs are being met. And I'm not trying to get them to be okay so that I'm going to be okay because I can't take it anymore. I can't go home tonight and think you're going to kill yourself tonight. That's true. And so there has to be outside help and intervention. And it's hard because if they refuse it, then it's like you're left with... Well, see, and that's where you're always praying first. And then you still have to practice healthy boundaries. But you're just a mortal person. And and their life is not your responsibility. And then when they do take their life, you can't blame yourself because of the boundaries you set. Right, because the boundaries have to be. Everybody has a choice. Mm -hmm. And if we look throughout history, there have been lots of people that have had really bad circumstances. They right. had every reason to kill themselves. Mm -hmm. And they had, were abandoned, neglected, abused, forgotten, forsaken, whatever it was. And they didn't. And so it ultimately comes down to the fact that if they're depending on the external world to be a perfect place and people to be perfect people, then they'll always be let down. So the boundary is, maybe I could have done it a little bit better that last Thursday, okay? But that's not going to keep that person from suiciding the next Thursday, okay? If they don't come out of that and agree to come out of it and work on it and take that kind of responsibility that says... I cannot let myself entertain that choice anymore. I choose life today. And they do it every day. If, if that's not the case, then you're going to feel like their life is in your hands and it's up to you. And if you don't do it right, they're going to kill themselves. So you have to remember that we can do everything right. We can have people in psychiatric hospitals mm -hmm. that are on 15-minute checks. And if they want to kill themselves, they find a way and do it. And so when people are going to do it, 
It is not anything that we on a mortal level, you know, can stop. We can, we can help to pray and stay connected to them so that God can do that work to get them to, to want to make a choice mm-hmm. in their life. But ultimately, if you stop them from suiciding, all you've done is buy some time. Gotcha. Which is good because maybe something can happen. Right. But you don't ever take responsibility for somebody's choice to kill themselves. That is always a personal choice. This is why we are helpless in it because it is so personal. Right. They don't let us in that area. And that's where I think free will kind of bites sometimes. And the way I picture God, and, and based on, you know, I just finally came to realize, like, realizing this this year, that I think sometimes God sits on his hands, and maybe this is not true, but this is how I see it, because he created this free will thing. And he doesn't like every decision that we make, and he knows that a lot of these decisions we make will end up hurting ourselves. But... He doesn't ever want anyone to come to him because he forced us in creating us to come to him like a robot. Because that is not rewarding for anyone to be forced into loving someone or forced into doing anything. There's no reward in that. So God created this dynamic of, okay, I'm going to give these people the choices to make good choices or bad choices. And I'm hoping they'll make good choices. And I hope one of those choices is they want a relationship with me. Because he could have created us all to have a relationship with him, and then we wouldn't have any of these problems today. But sometimes I think he sits on his hands. And I imagine, like, a parent who has a kid that wandered off the wrong way. Maybe they went into drug or alcohol abuse, or maybe they're in a gang or whatever. And they're trying so hard to get their kid back to the right path. But that kid's ultimate is making the choices, whether they're going to be on the right path. And so... As a parent, you're kind of like stuck. You have to sit on your hands because there's not a lot of things you can do except try and talk to them, try and love them, try and pray for them. But ultimately, it's their decision. So I just, I don't know, out of all this that's happened in my life, I think sometimes that happens to God where he knows someone's hurting so bad and he wants to intervene, but he can't unless someone prays for that person and allows him to start working in their life because of this whole free will thing. Some of that is true, but you also have to remember that even if nobody's praying for that person, Jesus is. That's true. So somebody's always praying for everybody. That's true. And so it, it's it's one of these things where that that differentiation between free will and self-will, all right, uh, sovereignty, you know, divine intervention, all these th- types of things, those are really pretty much incomprehensible to us. And so when it comes to something like suicide, we make it as simple as we can to understand this very complex issue. And so we know there's free will. We do. But we don't know where they lost some of their free will along the way. And so it isn't necessarily at that moment where they're killing themselves, that's when they made the choice. Mm-hmm. The choice happened back a lot farther and it takes some people can make that choice and not do it for a year wow mm-hmm. they just walk around to plan wow mm-hmm. because what happens is if they know they have the choice to kill themselves that helps them stay huh. and so it's this bizarre twisted kind of tangled tangled process so when they decide to, when they finally actually do it it has been in the works 
It isn't like somebody just wakes up in the morning and goes, I can't take it and I'm going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's, not, it's not like a, a truly impulsive issue. All right? It's an impulse when they finally do it. But it's not just like out of the blue. Okay? And so all along the way, they've been losing some free will. See that? I'm glad he said something like that because I didn't even think that was that 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 even happened, and that kind of like puts a light bulb in my my mind now. Like, wow, you could lose your ability to have free will. Perhaps that's true dealing with drugs and stuff, and well, any alcohol or any kind of any kind of altered state, Mm -hmm. which is disconnecting from self causes me to lose some of my free will and causes me to be open, certainly, to darkness. A lot more open to darkness. And so I'm going to get a lot more attack. I'm going to get a lot more relentless pressure because I've opened myself up. Mm. Makes sense. So there's there's a whole different process about suicide. And, and that's why, why what we, even if we think of the analogy that you're saying with the parents, see, this is how God says, regardless of the choice, they're still his child. So the free will that, that a, a, a saved person has is not whether or not they're still the kid. It's how they're going to experience God, how much they're going to experience God, mm-hmm. how long they're going to experience God, what they're going to experience when they meet him, you know, when they die. And so, but we don't have the free will to stop being his child. That's true. I agree with that. Just like you. I just don't want anyone to blame God on this and hate him now because the person they love so much chose to die and God didn't do anything about it. Because I don't believe that God, in my case with my cousin, I don't believe God um, didn't do anything. I think he tried to intervene several times. Yes. Yes. But I think it came to a place where did my cousin want the help or not? And sometimes you can't see it when you're in that grieving process, but you have to you have to understand that the spiritual dynamic of suicide and entertaining that thought is an altered state in and of itself. So it's kind of like if you had a person drunk out of their mind in front of you and you tried to talk to them about getting sober and going to AA that night, mm-hmm. you'd have to wait till they sobered up. Right? That's right. Yeah. Well, suicide, that kind of thinking, is a delusional type of reality. Where I think this is actually a good idea, and this might not bother people too much, and and this may be a good solution for me, and it's the only one for me. Okay, that that is not sanity. That's not sober-minded thinking. So when they are hearing people wanting to give them help, if they're in that delusional type of thinking, it's like trying to talk to a drunk person about going to an AA meeting. That makes sense. Right? You know, you're saying all the right things. You're doing all the right things. You are very present, and they're not. And so they're hearing it through this weird, like, you know how you think about kaleidoscopes? Yes. And you're seeing one, and you hand it to the person, and it goes one click off, right. and they see a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what that kind of, I, that idea of a kaleidoscope, a paradigm, a, a, a filter, okay? What they're seeing life through is like two, three, four, five clicks off of like a kaleidoscope. Wow. And so trying to get back in and make a connection with that person so that you can start to untangle that, because suicidal thinking is very tangled. It, it is a slow process. It is a one click at a time 
the way I take the way I perceive whatever event happened to me. This person let me down. This person said this to me. I look like this. I'm perceived this way. It's all these little perceptions and choices that lead to that big tipping point. Wow. How does um, how do you suggest loved ones deal with something like this? And it's really hard to swallow that pill. Well, the only way to get through it, you have to go through the grief and loss process so that you can forgive yourself, forgive the person, and forgive God. And accept that there are things that are beyond our comprehension. And, and we learn, as we go through that process, to trust God for who He is. We don't trust God because of what we see. We don't trust God because He's doing it the way that makes sense to us. We have to come to this point, and what I tell clients all the time, God gave me this saying that helps me reorient myself is I just say I either trust him or I don't. So I don't trust him because of what I see. I don't trust him because of how I feel. I trust him because in my heart of hearts I know who he is and I know he is a good God. And I know he is not a harmful, abusive, sadistic God. And so I can trust him. And so I have to trust him then with all the things that don't make sense to me. All the ways that I would have done it. And I have to continually give those to God and let Him heal my heart from what occurred. And know that He is in just as much pain, if not more, because He knows more than I do. And we know in Ecclesiastes it says, with much knowledge comes much sorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, God knows a lot about why the person suicided more than I do. So He's probably in more pain than I am about it, because He knows more. He knows the course that person's life could have taken. He knows why He created him. He knows what he had in store. He knows what blessings he had that that person stole from himself. So God is in just as much, if not more, pain than we are about what happened. I guess we don't ever think of things like that sometimes. That Sometimes I think people don't realize that God does hurt, too. A lot. <laughs> he hurts. He cries and hurts over his creation all the time. That's what I think, too. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's obviously the joy when a baby's born mm-hmm. and when people get married and when people come to know him. But mm-hmm. with that, there's also that other side that we don't think of. Well, we see in the life of Jesus, if you, if you study, you know, his life, and you see when he entered into his ministry, there is no indication I have not found of him laughing. It doesn't mean I don't think he had wonderful moments with people. Yeah. But he entered into a big trial. Yeah. And so he knows what it's like to live here trying to do it the way it was originally intended. See, our world is upside down. That's true. Inside out and backwards. So he's trying to reorient it when it's going in the complete opposite direction. So he really understands what it's like down here. I'm so glad that he did have a son Mm -hmm. that came down here. Yes. So that he can understand. Mm-hmm. And I I told that to uh, my cousin's dad. I said, you know, he he's a father and he knows how you feel losing your kid because he had to lose his. And when I've lost my three babies, that's kind of the only thing that got me through. Mm-hmm. Is he could relate to the pain of losing a, a, a son. And see, you have to think this way too. Because this is another kind of like revelation that God gave me about life. And when I talk to women that have lost babies or, you know, they're eight weeks along and they lose the baby, you know, that, and I say to them, the only way to be with God for eternity is you have to become a human. So 
he's not as concerned. I mean, I think it's it's very sad when people don't live out of 80 years. Sure. I, I think it is. I'm not sure. Okay. Sure. But <laughs> the most important thing to God is that it's created. Yeah. Because once a baby is created, even if it's a conception, they they get to be with God. Mm-hmm. And so your cousin, right, mm-hmm. was created and knew him. And so even though he died tragically, and this is certainly not God's plan for his life, sure. he gets to be with God. And that's the most important. It's more important to God that he's with him than whatever happened down here. Oh, I agree with that. And that, that, that part has, gives me comfort to keep going mm-hmm. and to be okay with what happened. Not that it's okay, but I guess the best way just to be all right with... It's just accepting. That's it. Just accepting what happened and now he's not, not in pain. Not understand. Because see, the grief and loss process is, remember, we start first in shock. Yes. Then we're in denial. This can't be true. We could have done that. There's got to, it's got to be a mistake. I had a dream that he actually, that it was a mistake exactly. and it was so real. Mm-hmm. It was in my dream. He w- he came over mm-hmm. after we had the funeral and everything mm-hmm. and he was, we were swimming and mm-hmm. having a good time at my house. And so I, I and, and you know how dreams can yeah. just feel like so real. Mm-hmm. And so I woke up like, no, he's still alive. And, well, he, and see, but some of that dream experience is he's alive in heaven and experience that. That's true. And so... Part of what our, our mind does to help us with the pain of a loss that big is it gives it to us in little doses, all right? And then it keeps trying to feel better. So it, it, in that denial state, we think we saw them on the street. Or we, we have to remind ourselves, oh, yeah, they, oh, they're, they're past. I, and we have to remind ourselves of it. That's part of our mind protecting. Just like I got an email and the name was almost the same and I'm like oh my gosh he sent me an email and then right. I, 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 yeah, I, I'm I like no he didn't send me right. an email it's another person with a very similar name sent me the email right, right. <laughs> it was, that's like okay See, and the thing that is the hardest is not getting stuck in bargaining okay because bargaining is the coulda shoulda woulda only done and if we get into bargaining we're going to get into guilt condemnation and shame because it's never going to be something positive toward us. Right. So once we start getting into the bargaining, we're going to think negatively about God, negatively about other people that we think should have done something, could have done something, negative things about the doctors, negative things about ourselves, you know, because we're trying to find a way that that did not have to happen. Mm-hmm. And see, that's not within our ability to comprehend. We don't know where or how or how it even got there. All we know is that it got there, and that is that is God's realm. And so the bargaining has to be about, okay, I can do a learning curve where I can say, I've learned these things, and like what you're doing with your show today, that's one of the ways you're working on bargaining, mm-hmm. is you're offering other people information so it doesn't happen to them. Right. So that's a positive way to work through some, doing a, being able to do some kind of action to, to mitigate some of the pain. Because then we go into anger, right? Yes. We're, we're tired of bargaining, yeah. so now we're just going to be mad, mad, oh my gosh, yes. living, you know, and everybody. Everything, and mad at God, and you know, you could have stopped this, and why did you do this? You, you know, I think you, I thought you cared about people. I can't believe you let this happen so right. easily, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we're or mad at the person yeah, who did it. How could you do yeah. this to me? How could How? you be selfish like this? Yeah. How could you have, like, really thought this was a, a good solution? How could you have not known the pain that you were causing? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then we get tired of that, then we go into sadness where we're just flat, maybe, or we're crying a lot. Or we're just wanting to sleep a lot. Right. Because one of the things that happens in grief is you want to sleep. 
because that's one of the because grief is really hard work. It sure it's is exhausting for the mind and the soul and the spirit. So then we go back maybe to bargaining. Then we go back to sad. Then we go up to anger. Then we go back to denial. Then we go back to bargaining. So we're going through these until we finally land at acceptance. That okay, I don't understand the course of all this. I don't understand why it had to happen that way. I don't comprehend any of that, but I do know, here's the good thing. I got to know him, and I know he's with God. And if people don't say, well, I don't know if that person's with God, then it's really important that you don't entertain whether or not you can figure that out. Right. You trust, more than anything, that when people are in pain, they are truly the closest to God. They just can't feel him. You just hope so, yes, absolutely. And so you really have to position your mind to say, that is not in my, the realm of my knowledge at all. And if I try to figure that out, I'm going to lose my faith. That's true. And so I need to remind myself that when somebody is in that kind of pain, they are the closest to God they could be, even though they feel really far away. And even though our perception would be, well, then they can't be close to God if they would pull that. But see, you can be really... Think about, again, the person that's like drunk out of their mind or high on drugs. They can wake up after that that and sober up and they didn't even know you were there when you were right next to them helping them right so the person that's suicidal in that way and, and contemplating that and then actually committing suicide they're they're you know that's that's like drunk on their own thinking right. okay so they don't perceive anyone helping them they don't perceive god next to them but he's right there i, I agree with that so it's important as we're working through that process that We'd be very careful about that bargaining and very careful about anger and, and not that we're not to feel it, we're to feel it completely and deeply so that we move through it. Right. But we have to really position our minds as to how am I thinking on this? And if I'm getting stuck in one of those stages, I might need to see a pastor, a mentor, friend, therapist. And it just comes, that verse comes to mind that God shows mercy to whom he shows mercy to. Mm-hmm. So well, what we think God may not show mercy to is might be co- totally wrong. Absolutely. And, and we know we have verses like, you know, the Romans 8, um, 35 to 38, talks about neither death nor life, right. nor height, nor, you know, nothing. Power, yes. you know, so death cannot separate us from the love of God. Right. And that's, and, and then we see in Psalm 139 talks about, you know, you know, even if, how can my spirit get away from you? I go to the heights of heaven, you are there. I go to the depths of Sheol, and God is even lower than hell. Right. So I can't get away from him. Right. So it's important that when we're thinking about that loved one and we're worried for them, that we remind ourselves of who we know God is. And God is very close and very concerned about the wounded, the afflicted in spirit. And he doesn't despise them. You know, one thing, it might be silly, I don't know, but I tell people this to do it (laughs) because I feel like it helps myself if I, if I vocalize it out loud to God, my pain. Absolutely. And I tell him I'm hurting Mm -hmm. and I tell him I want you to take this pain away and I tell him why I'm hurting and I do that up until I feel better again. Absolutely. Well, I think there's really good reasons for that. Jesus prayed out loud as well. Because one of the things that humans need to do is communicate. If they don't communicate, they don't connect, and then they die. So we need to communicate and hear our words being said, because that makes them real. 
And so as we articulate it, it also is a psychological, emotional expression, which helps me to get it out. So when I speak it out, that's something that's happening. That pain is coming out. So it's very important to vocalize. And when you're talking to God, you have to remember that the best way for Him to help is to be truthful with God. Don't ever hold anything back from Him. He hears language all day long. He really understands people in their heart. You're not being abusive with anything. You are expressing yourself. And the best thing to do is just be honest, completely honest with them. I even tell people, even when I was angry, after losing my third baby, I would tell them, I'm mad at you. How could you do this? As if he was standing right there and I could just tell him, like, he was a person in my life that I saw on a regular basis. Good, because he wants to be a friend. He wants to be a father. He wants to be the counselor. He wants to be all the triune to you. The other thing that helps a lot, I recommend to people that they journal and journal. Write the person an angry letter. Write the person a sad letter. Write the person a forgiveness letter. And so those help tremendously because it's another medium of how we exercise it out of ourselves and give that give pain a chance to come out. Because if we don't, then that pain recycles all through our body and changes our physiology. It's really imperative that you understand that, that emotions are enzymes, hormones. And so if they just keep recycling through our body, they then can damage our physical body because our physical body isn't intended to handle emotional pain and the relationships around us Mm -hmm. that's right and then i think that's when temptation comes for drug and alcohol because i'll tell you the closest i ever got and and i'm i wasn't super super close but the closest i got to wanting to just drink all the time was probably with my third baby right and I could understand somewhat of why people go to the temptation of drinking or drugs. I didn't do it, but it, I'm not going to say that, that I wasn't entertained by that right, idea. Right. <laughs> well, because the pain was too great. So there had to be something. I mean, I, I, tell, I tell people all the time, my goodness, have you, if you've ever read anything about the Civil War, you understand, thank God for alcohol. Now, I'm not advocating for people in this day and age yes. <laughs> to use alcohol, okay, because we have other resources. Yes. But God really understands pain. He really, I mean, if we just look at his life and his death, he went through more pain than any human being ever could. That's true. On all levels, social, physical, intellectual, spiritual, emotional, all of them, completely. And so he really gets pain. And what he also knows about humans, unfortunately, because of sin, Pain is the thing that brings the best out in us, if we will let it. That's what causes us to be deeper people, causes us to be closer to God, because that's how we connect with God. Many times it's through pain, because He had to go through pain to make life, and the way to live is also to die. And so many times we have to die to certain things. We may have to die to a belief system about God when it comes to suicide. We may have to let die our perception of that person or expectation on that person. And say, because in, if, I, if I don't, that thing will kill me. And I will stop being an authentic person. So it's imperative that we realize that pain is one of the greatest advocates for our, our own well-being. It's kind of like, think of the analogy, uh, if you've ever been somewhere in the wintertime and your hands and feet froze. Oh, yeah. And how painful that is. Right. right? But when it starts thawing out. It's even more painful. Yes. Okay? But yes. if you let that process occur, 
you get to the end of it, and now your hands and feet feel so good and have such freedom. When they were frozen, there was no freedom. All you felt was bad. And so if you go through the thawing out process, which is like a healing process, and I move through that pain, instead of wanting to stay frozen and not feeling any pain, then I just feel bad. So if I'm willing to go through that, I get to the end of that thawing out process, and I'm whole, and I'm healed, and I've got flexibility again, and i got strength. That makes sense. I'm so thankful that I got to know you, and, and I'm hoping that this will really make a difference in people's lives. I am too. Because I just, it's, it's something that happens, something, unfortunately, we have to deal with, and I think sometimes we need the tools to learn how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And to forgive ourselves when we think we should have done more, could have done more. Right. And, and learn that some things are just out of our control. Mm-hmm. And the main thing is what I loved you said is got to trust God. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it boils down to. That's right. And that will really help us get on that healing road that we need to be on. So thank you, Cynthia, for coming on the program today. I appreciate well, it. Can I tell people how to co- get in contact with me? Sure, okay, sure. Because my name is spelled a little different. It's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T. And they can friend me on Facebook and, and, um, uh, and Cynthia Hyatt, Inc., Facebook page, and there's a lot of different posts that are encouraging and helpful to people. So if they want to do that, that would be great. Super. Thank you for sharing that with us. We'll have a, um, instead of thinking about number one, just yourself, think about number two, somebody else, because eventually number two will look out for you.